We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Wednesday, June 20th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and coming up on today's show... We're going to talk to the American Legion about a couple of very important topics, specifically the shortage of medical health care professionals at the VA. Why are there 3,000 spots open for people that we need, doctors and specialists and things like that? That's in addition to over 30,000 other openings for those working in the administrative side and doing other jobs at the VA. We'll talk to them about that and, of course, about the new report on suicide and what it tells us about suicide in the veteran community. The overall number of suicides is down, but as the Legion will tell us, it's not necessarily good news for the military in particular, as the suicide rate is still climbing up. And then we'll speak to the two brothers behind Millspin. You may recall this company, They actually made their big breakthrough in the world of fidget spinners, military-related fidget spinners, specially engraved ones where you could have your rank, your branch of service, any specialties that you had on there. That was where they made their name first. But of course, the fidget spinner has gone the way of the pet rock or the slap bracelet or any other fad over the years. But Millspin is still going strong. We're going to talk to these two Marines, two brothers who served in the Marine Corps and both served in Force Recon in the Marines about how they adapted their company to survive after the thing that made them big kind of went away. All of that and more coming up on today's morning briefing. And of course, it's now time to welcome super producer Jake Hughes to the show. Jake, good morning. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how are you? I'm okay. Another day spent in a lot of traffic. Anytime I see a helicopter hovering above the road down the way, it's a bad sign. Yeah, probably not a good thing. Today, it certainly was. It's just sitting there forever. I listened to uh, two podcasts for, I guess they were both about 45 minutes long, so an hour and a half, and they were done before I got to uh, the garage here at work. But you know what? I made it, and that's what matters. Other than that, it uh, didn't feel great yesterday. Got home, had a little bit of, uh, I think maybe a little bit of food poisoning or something, so got a little uh, little sick and spent most of the afternoon and evening in bed. On the plus side, I feel well-rested now and don't feel like I'm going to throw up anymore. <laughs> so I've got that going for me. Going to take a look around now at the world of news in the veteran and military world and our friend Spencer Rapone. And I use the friend uh, term very, very loosely. Here. We need to get him on this show, man. Well, you know, he's speaking out now because he's officially out of the Army. He resigned his commission on Monday under other than honorable conditions. Uh, he was... Uh, apparently being reprimanded earlier for conduct unbecoming of an officer. And according to him, he tells the AP that an investigation found that he went online to advocate for a socialist revolution and disparage high-ranking officers. Uh, The Army's only saying officially, they put out a statement, they conducted a full investigation and that the appropriate action was taken and... You know, it's it's uh, it's basically like a, a stamp form, like they're not putting out any details on it. But we know what Spencer Rapone did. 
We saw the Reddit account where he was talking about creating a, a manual for armed guerrilla revolution within the United States and stuff like that. So, of course, it became kind of common knowledge that this was coming when a, uh, a former ranger who's apparently a, an author and journalist now posted on Twitter that he was going to be hosting a panel called like uh, uh, socialist revolution in the ranks or something like that at some socialist convention in uh, I think it's in Chicago coming up in July and that Spencer Rapone would be his guest on the panel. That's who he would be talking to. So everyone said, wait a second. How can he be doing that if he's still in the army? Because the last anyone heard, he was in the army. So Sofrep looked into it, looked at the tweets, and found that uh, the guy also said, yeah, he's being given a uh, discharge under other than honorable conditions. And that's why he would be able to appear on this panel. Of course, for officers, it's a little bit different than on the enlisted side. He's resigned his commission in lieu of probably going to trial over it or something like that. You probably remember last year, uh, I think it was in the fall when this story first broke, we talked to a bunch of JAG officers and uh, there was talk in the veteran community about charging him with treason, specifically in regards to his calls for revolution, the talk about creating the manual for guerrilla warfare, uh, for use against the United States government, which you would think is uh, not something an officer in the United States Army, particularly a West Point graduate, is allowed to do. Of course, it all came to uh, uh, public notice when he tweeted publicly, Photos of himself at his West Point graduation with a Che Guevara shirt on under his uniform because that's what all the cool kids are doing. And a message written inside of his cover that said communism will win. His graduation had been months earlier uh, and he finally tweeted them out in the fall and that's when everybody noticed them and it got put up there. We, of course, were the ones to break the news that he had uh, not... Not that he'd been a member of 3rd Battalion of the 75th Ranger Regiment. Uh, never earned the Ranger tab. Uh, was never a full-blown Ranger, as, as you might say. But was with 3rd Ranger Battalion, deployed to Afghanistan. Um, but we were the ones who found out that he had been given what they call an RFS. That's released for standards, which means essentially kicked out of the Ranger Battalion, which is exactly what happened to him uh, for whatever reason. They have a thing called the Ranger Blue Book. I learned all this stuff doing the research after hearing some uh, some rumors and tips that he had been uh, booted from the Ranger Battalion. And they have a book, the Ranger Blue Book, and if you violate any of the conditions in that book, these standards that they have, you will be removed from the Ranger Battalion, and he was. We don't have any specifics on what exactly, which standard he failed to meet, or standards, um, which is certainly possible. But he got out of there, had applied for a program that allowed enlisted soldiers to go to West Point, and got accepted. The question that a lot of people had was after our report was if this guy was kicked out of the ranger battalion why on earth would west point then accept him well what we found out at the time was that the rfs is something that only means something to the rangers no one else has that term no one else knew what it meant when we called to uh i believe it was socom public affairs to to get confirmation of this because uh the 75th ranger regiment falls under special operations command the uh, public affairs officer, when I called, was like, uh, he was what now? <laughs> like, he, he didn't know the term. So he said, all right, I'm going to look into it. They got back to us and confirmed that he was indeed released uh, for standards from the Ranger Battalion. So 
seems to be the common thought that that's probably how he got into West Point, despite not having a good track record at the Ranger Battalion, um, because they didn't know what that was. They thought that he just left. And later on, a professor who was also uh, an Army officer at West Point wrote an open letter about his dealings with, uh, at the time, uh, Cadet Rapone, who then went on to become, what, First Lieutenant Rapone? Second Lieutenant. Second Lieutenant. I always get that backwards. Yeah, you would think first is like the first one that you do, and then second would be second one that you do, but, you know, whatever. Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, you guys do what you do. We have Lieutenant Junior Grade and then Lieutenant. Those are, no, Ensign, Lieutenant Junior Grade, Lieutenant. But anyway, um, that the professor said that Rapone was openly belligerent to him and other instructors and other authority figures at West Point, but got away with it. Apparently, according to this uh, professor, the reason that he was able to float through was because he had the 3rd Battalion Ranger scroll on his arm. So again, he didn't earn his Ranger tab, but he was a Ranger. He was in the Ranger Regiment, and because of that background, and because they didn't know, apparently, that he was kicked out of the Ranger Battalion or removed from the Ranger Battalion, however you want to put it, uh, he kind of got like a little bit of a uh, little bit more leeway from people at West Point. So it seems that there were uh, failures of communication on many levels, although that professor said, I communicated this to the uh, the staff at West Point, the hierarchy at West Point, and no one did anything about it. Rapone would then go up to 10th Mountain Division, um, their second brigade combat team, I think it was up there. And uh, that's when he tweeted the stuff. He was at 10th Mountain, um, and 10th Mountain, of course, was made aware of these tweets eventually, pulled him out of a field exercise. He had apparently failed out of ranger school and all sorts of other stuff that we found out there. But then we wondered, what's going to happen to him? When we talked to those JAG officers about whether he'd be charged with treason, most of them said, this isn't treason, it's attention-seeking. Boy, did he get attention. Um, it seems that's what he was yep. seeking. He publicly tweeted these things out, so I'm sure he had some idea of what was going to come his way. Uh, the JAG officers all put out different opinions on what they would do, what they wouldn't do, what they expected to happen as far as uh, his status as a soldier. And I believe it was Butch Bracknell who who said, you know what I would seek is a uh, an other-than-honorable conditions removal from the Army in lieu of... Uh, court-martial or something like that. So it looks like he was right about that. Now, of course, uh, the young former Army officer and former West Point graduate and former a lot of things, he's currently still a communist, an avowed one, who is advocating for uh, dissent within the ranks, telling the AP in an interview, I consider myself a revolutionary socialist. I would encourage all soldiers who have a conscience to lay down their arms and join me and so many others who are willing to stop serving the agents of imperialism and join us in a revolutionary movement. Da, comrade. Communism will win. Yeah, good luck with that, Spence. Uh, I, you may have noticed that not all that many people were on your side in this thing, yeah. but he seems to think that there are quite a bit of people on his uh, side. And his last... Uh, sign off to the army i guess was as he was leaving fort drum which of course is the headquarters of 10th mountain division uh he tweeted a picture of him giving the middle finger to the fort drum sign the entry sign to the base from outside uh and titled it one final salute hashtag fta and we all know what fta means same thing as ftn <laughs> all yep. those other things uh so yeah, so this guy's out now, and he can do whatever he wants. Um, he's a uh, proponent of the thinking of Rudy Dutschke, who is a guy who advocates basically uh, tearing things down from the inside, getting into an organization like, say, the United States Army and, and 
destroying it from within. Yeah, how'd that work out for you, buddy? Yeah, not so great. Uh, speaking of how things worked out, Rapone apparently in an interview said that his journey to communism came from his time as an army ranger in Afghanistan before he was accepted into the military academy. Of course, you notice he skips over the being removed from the ranger right. battalion for being a, a dirtbag in one way or another. Um, the question I would have for him is, you know that Afghanistan has a pretty bad past with communism yeah. <laughs> and the Afghan people fought pretty hard against the Soviet Union uh, being in there and taking over and running it as a communist uh, extension of the Soviet Union. So, you know, this is one of those things that a lot of people are just like, how did this happen? I think we have a general idea of how it happened as we just went over there. Um, we do have Senator Marco Rubio, who is the most outspoken national politician on this issue. Uh, he had originally called for the army to get Rapone out, just wanted him gone, and now has uh released a statement saying while in uniform Spencer Rapone advocated for communism and political violence and expressed support and sympathy for enemies of the United States. This is the statement from Senator Rubio adding, I'm glad to see that they have given him an other than honorable discharge. So this is uh, this is an interesting thing. He grew up in Pennsylvania, was applied to West Point, but didn't get in there. Uh, he was not allowed in. Uh, he was nominated out of high school by a representative named Jason Altmeyer from Pennsylvania back in 2010. Uh, Altmeyer uh, said at the time, like, hey, this guy was an honor student, athlete, model citizen. He, he did everything right. Didn't say anything about communism, expressed, expressed patriotism while he was there. Um, of course, the teachings of, uh, of old Rudy that he's a, he's a fan of tell you to do that. They tell you to lie to get into positions that you can't get into. So while he says that these uh, views came about when he was in Afghanistan, little birdies who are familiar with his time in the Ranger Regiment said uh, that they think it may have been a little bit before that. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, this is... Oh, boy. Just a, a crazy, crazy story. He went on to talk about his time in Afghanistan, that interview with the AP, saying, We were bullies in one of the poorest countries on Earth. We have one of the most technologically advanced militaries of all time, and all we were doing is brutalizing and invading and terrorizing a population that had nothing to do with what the United States claimed was a threat. Okay, a couple of problems with that. Yeah. One uh, was stationed in Afghanistan, deployed there for a year, actually saw and documented all of the good things that we were doing in that country. Things like, you know, getting girls into school, building schools specifically for girls, uh, uh, building infrastructure, helping towns that were under threat from uh, erosion from a river. These are just things that I personally witnessed while I was there. How about providing firefighting equipment to the fire department at the airport in Mazari Sharif? Because before that, if a plane went down and crashed, which is the kind of thing that happens when you're dealing with uh, not the greatest uh, kept aircraft and things like that. And a fire broke out. Basically, they'd be bringing like garden hoses over. Well, guess what? We provided them with firefighting equipment and things like that. This was uh, this was very it's, it's fascinating to hear that and also to hear that this was a country, according to him, that had nothing to do with what the United States claimed was a threat. I seem to remember, and I think this has been verified, that the government in Afghanistan in 2001, that being the Taliban, supported 
and sheltered Osama bin Laden during the planning of the attacks on the World Trade Center. Yeah, and he, I was about to say, bin Laden, he did something. I can't remember exactly what it was. Yeah, he did some pretty bad things, and that government has still advocated for attacking the United States, uh, even as discussions with the Taliban on including them in uh, government going forth in Afghanistan have gone on. They've still been, uh, you know, attacking us and our allies over there and uh, imploring people to attack the United States. He says that, and he also said, oh, we're brutalizing a population. Is that what we're doing, Spencer? Are we going out and just going after civilians, or is it the Taliban? Is it the Haqqani Network? Is it the operators within Afghanistan who are a threat and have proven that they can be a threat to the mainland United States in the past on September 11th, 2001? Uh, it's, it's fascinating to hear someone be able to disconnect from those things, and if he if if what he's saying that we were just brutalizing the population, that's all we did. Okay, you got the receipts? Where's your proof of this? Where's your documentation? If you were over there and you were witness to that happening, prove it. Tell us about what was going on over there. Where's your proof of any of this? Of course it isn't. This is just... This is just, you know, the kid back in like high school who like listened to Rage Against the Machine and just <laughs> bought into that angry little puppets, uh, uh, anti-American, anti-police, anti-everything viewpoints. That's what this is. It's just someone who kept that point of view uh, into uh, young adulthood. I don't know if I'd even go so far as to call him an adult, even if he's got to be, what, 26 years old now or something like that if he joined in 2010. He said that uh, he went to West Point after he applied and got in through that uh, quota of enlisted soldiers that they put in every year. He said during the interview with the AP, I was still idealistic. I figured maybe I could change things from the inside. Huh. Well, that's exactly what uh, old Rudy, again, Rudy Dutschke, who is his, uh, his idol there within the communist ranks, advocates for. Get inside and tear it down from within. So uh, this is uh, just, just a... Uh, an upsetting story that this was allowed to happen, that this guy was allowed to get to the point where he was at while at 10th Mountain Division leading soldiers. I mean, he was a, he was a young officer in charge of soldiers there. He did say in the interview about the tweets because people were wondering, like, well, you had to know what was. Of course, he knew. And he says that in the interview, saying, I knew there could be repercussions. Of course, my military career is dead in the water. On the other hand, many people reached out and showed me support. There are a lot of veterans, both active duty and not, that feel like I do. I don't know how you define a lot, Spencer, yeah. but I'll tell you this. I wrote about three or four stories on this uh, item, updates on it, and an opinion piece on it, and explanations, the JAG officer one. I got quite a bit of feedback from people who read the article. Not a single one was in support of what he did. Not a single one. The closest to support that I would say he got was uh, people commenting on the uh, article from the JAG saying like, eh, just kick him out. Like you don't need to put him in prison or put him on trial. Just get him out of the army. That's the closest thing to support that he got. People saying what he did didn't amount to a crime. It was just you know, stupid essentially. But you know, for him, he's got this idea of a communist revolution rising up within the United States. Uh, good luck with that. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll watch out for the, uh, the hammer and sickle flags marching through the streets of Washington as you go to take over the country. Uh, I'm sure that's going to take place sometime in the very near future because of all the support that you have and all the military and veterans that feel the same way that you do. The one worry that I have is those soldiers who he was in charge of. This certainly sounds to me, Jake, like the kind of guy who's not going to keep those thoughts to himself. 
Yeah, but more my more worry is not so much that he's creating more little communists. <laughs> it's that these soldiers are going to be disheartened by the fact that their leadership was posting these anti-American views and have a skewed view of what yeah. leadership in the military should be. And there are leaders in the military who I served under who had different uh, outlooks on everything than I do. There were people who were uh, very religious, and I'm not a particularly religious person. There were people who were very super conservative, super liberal. I tend to dislike uh, everybody and think that I should be put in charge. <laughs> That's the only kind of of any sort of socialist communist government if i were installed as supreme leader of the united states i could fix all these problems that we have but until that happens i'm gonna go ahead and stay in the middle and just uh keep both sides Laugh in at check. everybody but what i'm saying is i had leaders in the military who certainly personally had opinions that differed from mine and things some things that i would say were some of them were kind of crazy and all sorts of other things i had a guy who i worked for who was a conspiracy theorist who I knew that in uh, some spaces he had talked about, uh, you know, maybe September 11th was an inside job and was like a fan of the Loose Change documentary, all the iterations of it, uh, including after it was uh, disproven the first time and then the second time and then the third time. They keep making edits to try and come up with new theories on why it was uh, why it was an inside job, man. It's the man doing everything. Those people kept that stuff to themselves yeah. while in uniform. Clearly, by what we've seen on social media, that's not what this guy was doing. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I've followed uh, leaders and NCOs and officers of mine on social media and been shocked by their views. <laughs> I mean, not because they're so extreme, like they're, you know, part of like hate groups or anything, but because I never had an idea that they were that liberal or they were that conservative. Because when you're in the military, the, as how am I trying to say this? We try to remain apolitical. You're supposed to, yeah. And particularly as an officer. As an officer, there are extra rules on what you can and can't do. Because again, as soon as you're wearing, even when you're just putting those butter bars, when you're an ensign or a second lieutenant or whatever, you are representative of the leadership of the United States military. You are not allowed to do that. There are things that an enlisted person can say and do that an officer cannot and can be charged under the UCMJ for. Um, again, and there are different rules for everything when it comes to officers. You're getting paid more. You've got more responsibility for the most part. Because of that, you're held to a different standard. Um, although right now, he's not held to any standard. Old Spencer Rapone <laughs> doesn't have the man holding him back anymore. So he's free to call for revolution and all that stuff. And you know what? If he did want to uh, come on and talk on this show, maybe we'll tweet at him later today. I'd be willing to talk to him. I'll talk to anybody. And then, of course, be called either a, uh, a fascist or a socialist or a communist the next day, uh, sometimes on back-to-back -back days. You talk to this right-wing politician, what are you must be some fascist. Blah, 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 blah. The next day, you talk to this left-wing veteran organization, you're a communist who hates the United... Well, which one is it? Yeah, <laughs> pick one. We talk to everybody, and we don't let our personal views get in the way, kind of like what you would hope someone like Spencer Rapone would do here on this show. Um, so yeah, I'd be willing to talk to him and find out you know, what his thought process there and why he thinks that there's so much support for him when I've seen literally none other than, um, okay, the guy who's interviewing him at the panel in Chicago. And, and there are organizations, sure. And I'm sure within his insular world, there are people that are supporting him. But 
dude, these, these socialism, communism, uh, socialist veterans of America, which that was another issue on his, uh, his Twitter account, tweeted a photo of his, uh, his ID as a recruiter for the Socialist Party of America, or whatever, on his uniform with his name tape there. So it was like, okay, dude, you're doing stuff that we know you know you're going to get busted for, and you're still doing it. So this is... Uh, it was clear that he was trying to get out uh, in my eyes. Uh, I don't think that he was intent on staying in the military. Uh, maybe that comes from being a failure at the Ranger Battalion and then also failing out of Ranger School because he was an infantry officer. And as as we know, well, as I've learned and as you know, if you're going to be an infantry officer, basically, and you want to make a career out of it or you want to advance past what major, you need to have the Ranger tag. Yep. Whether you're in the Ranger Battalion or not, you need to have the Ranger tab to get that. You need to go through Ranger School. He didn't. But again, you know, he's he's free to do what he wants now. And he is a citizen of the United States, uh, although he'd uh, prefer to be a citizen of the United Socialist uh, State Republic of, uh, you know, communism stand or wherever i don't know exactly what he's looking for but whatever he's looking for he's free to pursue it now he just shouldn't have done it while he was in uniform and it is uh i think a good thing that he's no longer in the army because again i don't think this is a guy who is going to keep these thoughts to himself i'm fairly certain this was someone who was going to be advocating for it and trying to get the young impressionable soldiers Jake, you were a drill sergeant. You know how impressionable they are when they come into yep. the army. So this guy certainly would have had uh, an outsized influence on those people serving underneath him. Uh, and you know, I, for one, am glad to see that he has been removed from the army, resigning his commission under other than honorable conditions. You're listening to the Morning Briefing Wednesday edition. Coming up next, American Legion is in the house. And later, the two Marine recon veterans who started Mill Spin and how they've adapted their company after the fidget spinner craze died out. Morning Briefing, back after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. That's our motto, and it's what we do. Each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn that uniform. Just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken it off for the last time and moved it out into that dark, scary civilian world. And the content that we're producing, well, it's aimed at helping you during that transition and afterwards. Finding out about great programs that are available to you, like on yesterday's show when we talked to DraftKings about their Tech for Heroes initiative that's giving free tech training to vets to get them into the industry and not even necessarily to work for DraftKings. Yeah, it's stuff like that, and that's what we do each and every day here at ConnectingVets.com. So please check out the website and be sure to follow us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. As it is Wednesday, we are joined by the American Legion, because that's what we do every Wednesday. The Legion always has great stuff to talk about, and there is never a shortage of veterans' issues to cover. Today, we have two members of the Legion, including the Deputy Director for Healthcare, Mr. Roscoe Butler, and Ryan Britch, who is their Assistant Director for PTSD and TBI. Gentlemen, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning. Good morning, Eric. 
First, let's start with Roscoe. Let's go with, uh, you know, beauty first. So, Roscoe, very briefly, let's talk about your military career. You are a veteran yourself. So tell us about where you served, when you joined, and what you did while you were in. I served in the United States Army. I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky from 1974 to 1977. Two years before I was born. 158th (laughs) Aviation Battalion. Oh, very cool. And of course, Ryan, a veteran yourself as well. I think a little bit after 1974. A a couple years after, yes. When you got to your first duty station. So tell us just a a little reminder of what you did. Sure. I I, uh, was in the Vermont Army National Guard as an infantryman for six years with a deployment with the Rakhassans to Afghanistan in 2010. Very cool stuff. And then, of course, both of you transitioning from uh, being in the military eventually to serving the veteran community through the American Legion. And let's briefly talk about that. Roscoe, what first attracted you to the American Legion as an organization and then as an employer? I worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs for 34 years. Mm. And after I retired from the Department of Veteran Affairs, uh, the American Legion offered me to come uh, work for them and so I saw that as an opportunity to continue serving our nation veterans. And clearly with 34 years at the VA and now more years at the American Legion, Roscoe's been doing his part for quite a while. Ryan, how about you? Was the American Legion always an organization that you were interested in or did it come to you after you left the service? So I've recently finished up with Peace Corps in Swaziland and I wanted to come to Capitol Hill and work on veterans issues. And the American Legion is the avant-garde of, of advocating for our nation's veterans. They are doing a lot on many, many issues that we talk about every Wednesday here on the show. Today, we're going to talk to uh, a few specific issues directly, and one that we want to talk to uh, both of you about. But Roscoe, with your experience at the Department of Veterans Affairs, I think that you will be uh, able to give us a little insight on this, specifically talking about staffing shortages at the VA, where there are uh, there was a report release that says somewhere over 3,000 specialists that they haven't been able to find spots for. Uh, Roscoe, what do you think is behind the lack of staff at the VA and the shortages that we're facing? There are a number of reasons why VA is not as attractive to come and work for. Uh, low salaries. Mm. Uh, in, in the rural areas, they're not associated with a teaching facility. So uh, physicians find it difficult to move their families out there because they don't have the same educational opportunities as a facility in a metropolitan area does. Right. Uh, so the, ch- one, the challenges VA is facing is being able to compete with their community partners. Uh, when you have uh, integrated health care facilities in large metropolitan areas, VA employees are competing with uh, community facilities, and sometimes they find it very difficult Uh, They offer similar debt reduction uh, educational benefits uh, to prospective employers, but the the benefits that the outside community partners offer is much more lucrative than what VA can offer. You know, I think some people think of the government pension that can come to workers after they spend a specific amount of time. But when you're talking about significant differences in salaries, particularly for doctors and other experts like that, the difference in annual salary kind of offsets any government pension that you'd be getting sometime down the road. How do you think we can best address that? I mean, is this something where they simply need to raise the salaries that they're offering offering to people? And is that even a possibility with money so difficult to come by in the government? You know, it's it's crazy. Uh, there's a law that says that a VA, a federal employee 
cannot make more than the president of the United States. Hmm. The president's salary is capped at $400,000. So federal employees, by law, cannot make more than that. Now, there are exceptions, and from what I've heard, there are some special physician uh, physicians in the VA where they can make more than that, but there are far few than, than the norm. But by law, uh, you can't pay a federal employee more than what the president of the United States makes. So I think there, there needs to be changes because if you uh, spend all of your time, particularly in a specialty, neurosurgeons for one, and, and you spend all that time education, you accumulate these, hard, these large educational debt, and then you come and work for an organization like the VA and the federal government where the salary is capped at a certain amount, you know, you're probably not going to stay long Mm. unless you're there for other reasons. Now, I've gone, I have a group of of staff that go out and conduct system worth saving visits around the country at VA hospitals. And what we find, for the most part, VA employees Physicians, nurses, doctors are dedicated employees. And they're there for other reasons, not primarily the the salaries. They're there because they want to give back to our nation veterans. They could go out in the community and make a lot more money working at a community facility than they do at working for the VA. So there are other motivators than just the salary, though, that attracts them. And so VA has to come up. To be more competitive, though, VA needs to uh, come up with ways that they can attract doctors, lawyers, and, and other healthcare professionals. Uh, one thing uh, I testified last week on the Hill on a number of bills ranging from veteran-specific education for tomorrow's Medical Doctors Act to Wounded Warrior Workforce Enhancement Act and VA Hiring Enhancement Act. All of these acts are will help veterans and and through uh, offering prospective VA uh, employers uh, more salaries, more benefits, and so forth to attract them to come work for the VA. Part of the problem also, and we're speaking with Roscoe Butler, deputy deputy director for healthcare at the American Legion. Part of the problem when it comes to the experts and uh, the people in the field who've been doing it for a long time, of course, their salaries, doctor salaries start off pretty good in the civilian world. By the time you become a subject matter expert, like a top cardiologist or brain surgeon or anything like that, you're making a ton of money. So then that salary difference, uh, I suppose it's a double-edged sword where it can be too great for people to consider coming to the VA, or at some point, maybe they've made enough money and now they're going to move on to doing something that's that's meaningful to them. Is that part of the hope when it comes to trying to get those experts that may be pulling in $10, $15 million a year that the VA is never going to be able to equal? That's an excellent point. And I've seen where doctors out in the private sector retire and then come and work for the VA because they want to give back to our veterans. So we need to do more uh, programs that allow that type of opportunities for people to come work for the VA. Mm. 
Yeah, and that's something that I remember seeing a doctor at the Northport VA. He was just there a couple days a week. It was almost like he was moonlighting as a doctor at the VA while also having his civilian practice. Is that something that the VA can focus on, or are they uh, in need of full-time employees instead of trying to pull people for maybe some part-time work uh, in addition to what their normal duties are? Well, uh, they use a combination of both. Uh, They use uh, employees from, I believe there was some law passed uh, not too long ago that allow phys- physicians to moonlight to come in and work for VA. They do use uh, what they call uh, traveling physicians where they're traveling from location to location. So VA exploring a number of opportunities to help uh, supplement their uh, physician employment pool, but there needs to be more opportunities and other ways uh, to help supplement that. And those 3,000-plus that we're talking about, those are just the medical professionals and experts. There are somewhere in the vicinity of 40,000 openings at the VA, the last I checked. How important is it beyond just the doctors and nurses and technicians to get the, you know, the clerical people? Because, again, as you know, I'm sure, Roscoe, a lot of the issues that people have with the VA are those bureaucratic and clerical issues getting to the appointment. It's not the care that's the problem. It's getting to that point. And if they're that short-staffed, 37,000 support people taking out the medical professionals, that's a significant chunk of the uh, what would be employed at the VA, about 10%, I think. So how do we get past that, and how important is it to make sure that all those staff members are also brought on board? Well, I think that staffing up HR, because that's critical. If, if HR has vacancies and they're not staffed to their maximum capacity, then it's all it's going to have a, a domino effect in other areas. So making sure that you have a good HR uh, support staff and then uh, bringing in all of the other support disciplines is very critical because if you don't have your clerical staff, your intake staff, then that's going to impact what the professional staff does because they can't do their jobs without having the front line employees being able to do their jobs. Yeah, if you don't have a good HR department, the thing that you have to remember is they're the ones who hire people. So if there's not enough people to hire people, uh, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball from the beginning. We've been speaking with Roscoe Butler, Deputy Director for Healthcare, and we're going to continue speaking to him. He's from the American Legion. We're also going to bring Ryan Britch into the conversation now, the Assistant Director for PTSD and TBIs at the Legion, to discuss uh, a recent report that came out, Ryan, that this involves the VA, it involves all veterans. It is uh, something that's right at the forefront of the American discussion in general right now because of recent occurrences, and that is the National Suicide Data Report. So, Ryan, what can you tell us about that report, specifically as it relates to veterans? Sure. I'd love to discuss the report, but first I would just love to tie in uh, my area of expertise, suicide prevention, with the area that Roscoe was just discussing, uh, which is the, the hiring uh, hiring process at, at VA. Mm-hmm. And the, the shortage of employees at, at VA can lead to overworked staff, poor patient experience, and a lower quality of care. Um, I'm sure, as, as you know, it can be one of the things that can really keep a veteran in VHA is having an overall uh, wonderful patient experience. So anything that, that we can do to, to increase the, um, sorry, to decrease the, the employee turnover rate, uh, to increase the recruitment, retention, and relocation budget for VA employees, and to improve the, the tedious hiring procedure, um, at, at USA Jobs, a lot of qualified medical professionals will apply for employment employment through USA Jobs at VA, 
and they'll wait six to nine months to hear anything. And in that time, they will obviously go and search for other employment. Yeah, that's a big issue. If people are applying and not hearing back uh, for months, I mean, one month is a little long to not hear back. If you're looking for employment, I mean, you may think, oh, they're a doctor. They're going to be able to just coast. But no, 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 no. Especially early on in the career when you're leaving medical school, you got a lot of bills to pay, student loans to repay that come uh, to uh, such an exponentially higher rate than your average student. Uh, that is certainly an issue. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to that uh, data report on suicide as it relates to the nation and of course specifically to veterans there's some information on that aspect of it Mm -hmm. so the recent uh, report was released yesterday Uh, there's a lot of consistency between this uh, this report and the report that was released back in 2014 haven't seen too many changes one thing that still remains true is that the the highest rate of suicide among veterans is is the youngest youngest veteran so that's 18 to 34 uh, both male and female veterans um, but we can't confuse numbers and rates. A lot of people are, are, are saying that the highest number of, of veterans who commit suicide are the older veterans, so that's yeah. 55 and above. You and, just have more people serving back then, so yeah, that's exactly. why it's it's you know the larger number overall, and then, of course, you have the rates, and those are two uh, different but mm-hmm. se- but equally important mm-hmm. groups. It, exactly. So, yes, bo- both are extremely important, and, we both, uh, and they both need to have targeted interventions pointed towards them. Yeah. What is it telling us about any changes? Has it moved positively, negatively? Mm-hmm. Can we tell? So the rates between 2014 and 2015 have remained consistent. Uh, one thing I have heard tossed out there a lot is that the, the numbers are, are decreasing. We've heard um, it used to be 22 veterans a day. Now it's 20 veterans a day. And a lot of people are pretty op- optimistic about that. Um, and I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we've actually uh, had our number of veterans actually decrease so in 2010, we had 22 million veterans. Today, we have about 18 million veterans. And so, yes, the number of veteran suicides a day has gone from 22 to 20. But if we actually look at rates, unfortunately, the rates have increased. And what we need to consider there is the fact that the generation of World War II veterans and Korea veterans, if you were uh, 18 years old, let's say you lied about your age and you were 16 years old and enlisted in 1941, that puts you in your 90s now. So, I mean, the World War II generation, fewer and fewer with us uh, each and every day. Uh, of course, the World War I generation is entirely gone now. The World War II generation, uh, at some point in the fairly near future, as sad as it is, again, happens to all of us. Uh, we, we live for as long as we live, and then we don't anymore. When that generation where you had more people serving during World War II than at any other point in American history, when they are gone, the number of overall veterans will drop. So you'll see that overall number of suicides drop. But as you're saying, the rate, the percentage of veterans that are committing suicide is going to, it looks like it's growing. It's getting larger. Yeah, it's actually growing. And it's quite troubling because historically during times of peace, the the suicide rate among American service members has actually been lower than the civilian suicide rate. And if you take, for example, the time period between 1977 to 2003, it was much lower, but with the the um, recent conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan and across the world, we have seen the service member uh, suicide rate increase. I want to ask you about this, Roscoe. When it comes to the manning shortages at the VA, that can't have a positive effect on something like this, particularly when it comes to mental health professionals, which I know is another group that they're struggling to fill uh, vacancies for. Uh, how important is it for them to address the the mental health care, not just the physicians, but the, the people who deal with these mental health issues over at the VA and make sure those positions are all staffed? It's very important to ensure that you have the right staff to ensure that when veterans come in seeking help 
you can provide that care and assistance to them. Uh, a, a few years back, VA did a campaign on mental health professionals, and they brought on 6,000 new mental health professionals. But still, that's not sufficient to keep the level to where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And so VA still is faced with a shortage of mental health professionals uh, around the country. When we go out and conduct our system work site-saving visits, that's one of the things that we often hear from our mental health staff, uh, VA mental health staff, is the shortages of mental health uh, physicians, nurses, doctors, and so forth. So uh, it's it's you you have to ensure that you have the right numbers to meet the needs. And as Ryan says, uh, while uh, the numbers may be decreasing, the number of veterans coming to the VA system is increasing. Uh, so there's an increase in the need of VA providers because the number of veterans seeking care from VA it is also increasing. We're speaking with Roscoe Butler, Deputy Director for Healthcare at the American Legion, and Ryan Britch, Assistant Director for PTSD and TBI at the Legion. Ryan, when we look at this data and hear that the rate is increasing, despite the fact that it seems every day there's a new program that's working to combat this issue, there's a new group working to bring attention. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to uh, retired Delta Force operator Josh Collins, who at one point, just uh, five, six years ago, was suicidal, now has found his way past that and is uh, bringing attention to the issue of PTSD, TBIs, and suicide. He had nine traumatic brain injuries during his time in Delta Force and then as a contractor afterwards. There are more people each day working to bring attention to this. Why do we think we're seeing the rate increase despite all that? So I I can't agree with you more. VA is doing fantastic work. Uh, A lot of progress has been made. They've expanded the Veterans Crisis Line. They've hired hundreds of suicide prevention coordinators. They've implemented this new uh, analytical program that can detect which veterans are at risk for suicide called ReachVet. Um, there is a campaign to destigmatize mental illness and increase uh, participation in, in mental health called Be There. Um, and VA is hiring hundreds of suicide, uh, sorry, uh, peer specialists. Um, but I, I do believe that the, the impact of, of 20 years of war is, is causing this, this extreme increase uh, in veteran suicide. Um, there's, there's no doubt that exposure to combat leads to significant psychological injury, and when that's left untreated, it uh, can directly impact a veteran's health and well-being. Traumatic brain injury, if, if something impacts the brain's ability to function uh, and conduct its normal critical roles, that's also going to place uh, a veteran at risk for suicide. I also believe that we have a crisis uh, in terms of veterans losing a sense of belonging and, and, and sense of purpose mm-hmm. after they leave the military. Um, I came across this this pretty uh, pretty impressive um, book that was that was actually stating back in World War One, uh, military psychologists had detected that if you take somebody who has been quote unquote shell shocked and you you move them away from their friends, you put them in a hospital, they will they'll maintain their symptoms and and continue with um, I guess they're being being shell shocked. But if you if you take somebody who is shell shocked and you keep them um, just behind the front lines in a military frontline hospital with the, the support of their friends and their comrades, they will actually, um, they'll actually, symptoms will, will improve. 
Right. And shell shock, of course, is what we today know as PTSD. I had some lunatic on social media telling me that, oh, PTSD is some new invention for the post 9-11 vets to rip off and scam the system. No, it goes back quite a long ways, uh, as long as there's been warfare. Yeah, if if you read the Epic of Gilgamesh or or the Bible, there there is... um, Evidence of, of post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury. Right. Just a new term that we've used for it. You know, battle fatigue was another term that they used for a while. Now it's called PTSD. It's the same thing, and it's affecting veterans. Josh Collins comes to mind because this is a guy who was the elite of the elite. I mean, we've, we've read about other Delta Force operators talking about this guy in reverential terms, like this was the guy. Mm-hmm. And he got to the point where he was thinking about taking his own life because traumatic brain injuries had cost him his sense of balance and everything. It turns out getting on a paddleboard was what kind of made the world slow down and stop spinning for him. And now he's paddleboarding. He's in the middle right now of paddleboarding 710 miles from Washington State to Alaska, some of the most treacherous waters there are. He's working to bring attention to it, uh, but we need more people bringing more attention to it. Ryan, let me ask you, if an individual is out there and they say, this is something that, that means something to me, I'm a veteran or I'm a friend of the veteran or I'm a family of a veteran and I, I've lost someone, I've seen someone almost take their own life, I've almost taken my own life, what's the best course of action if they want to want to help in, in fighting this epidemic that we're facing? Mm-hmm. Um, I always like bringing up the, the, the example of, of Israel. Um, when an Israeli soldier comes home from, from their military service, they're surrounded by empathetic people who who understand and and know what they they've been through because they they have served, and unfortunately, um, not many Americans serve today. And the level of understanding and empathy uh, is not as as high as it should be. Hmm. So I always take approach of of empathy and understanding and getting to to know your veteran and and what they've been through and and trying to understand what what they're going through. Those are certainly ways that people can go about helping and doing anything that you can to combat this, whether on a personal level, a local level, the national level. Of course, for people who are interested in addressing issues on a national level, groups like the American Legion when it comes to veterans issues are a wonderful conduit for that for members and non-members alike. Of course, I know you guys as uh, Legion employees would like to see more Legion members joining every day, uh, and that's something that I think would be good. But for people who are interested in reaching out to the Legion to get help on an issue, to get information on an issue, like let's say, Ryan, for uh, suicide and PTSD and TBIs, what's the best way for them to contact the Legion specifically on those issues? So they can reach out either by phone or by email at www.legion.org, or they can call us uh, at our uh, 202-861-2700. And those are the ways to reach out to the Legion. And again, you don't need to be a Legion member to reach out to them for help, although after you reach out to the Legion for help and get some of that good information that's coming from people like Deputy Director for Healthcare Roscoe Butler and Assistant Director for PTSD TBI Ryan Bridge, you may be interested in joining up in the organization if, of course, you're eligible for it. Let me just also add that, you know, whatever your issues are and concerns are, we have service officers and we have staff at the national level that can assist you with your uh, claims-related matter, uh, disability indemnity compensation issues, or any other health or non-health related matter for that point. So whatever your concerns are, contact us. If you're not a member, we don't care. You know, if you're a veteran, we want to hear what you have, what your issues are, and we'll do our best to resolve that. 
The Legion is working every day to advocate for veterans, not just Legion members. And I want to thank them for what they do. And I want to thank Roscoe Butler and Ryan Bridge for joining us today on The Morning Briefing. Back with Millspin after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing on Entercom's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. That's our slogan because it's what we do. Each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn the uniform and knows what it's like to have taken it off for the last time to move into becoming a member of the veteran community. And that is why they are working tirelessly every day to provide you the information that you should know, that you need to know, that you would want to know if you knew about it. And you're going to know about it by visiting ConnectingVets.com and, of course, following us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guests are veterans of the United States Marine Corps. They're brothers. They are also in business together with the company Millspin. We're speaking to Dana and Chet Peters. Thank you both for joining us here on The Morning Briefing today. How are you? Great. Thanks for having us. Well, let's start off. I'm just going to pick one at random. I introduced Dana first, so let's go with Chet. Chet, tell me a little bit about your military service, just, you know, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did while you were serving in the Corps. Sure. Uh, well, we, we, we grew up in Cleveland, and uh, I enlisted straight out of high school. So at age of 18, you know, I went to Paris Island for boot camp. Um, I took a recon in dock when I was uh, in the School of Infantry, uh, and that went well. And so... After SOI, I uh, was stationed out in Pendleton, where I, where I did recon training, and I graduated as a, a reconnaissance marine, and ended up being stationed in Okinawa, Japan, which is where I uh, was permanently enlisted for for my first four my four year career. And Dana, how about you? Uh, similar to Chet, so Chet was two years ahead of me, and I kind of followed in his footpath. I uh, signed a recon contract uh went through brc in 2009 i believe and ended up getting stationed in uh camp lejeune north carolina at second recon battalion uh did a tour in afghanistan in 2010 2011 and uh got out after four years in 2012 and started my um college career at the ohio state university well, Dana, yeah, let, yeah, let's talk about that career. Let's talk about that transition for you. You know, I think for, we talked to a lot of Marines on the show and, you know, me having served in the Navy, I served uh, alongside the Marines in, in many different uh, places and, and in many different ways. I think because of that devotion to the Marine Corps, that true believer love in what the Marine Corps is all about, that Marines have, transitioning to veteran status can be more difficult for Marines than it is for uh, those of us in the other branches just a little bit. What was that transition process like for you? Did it go fairly smooth, or were there was it a pretty bumpy road? Um, I, I would say it was more smooth for me. Um, I, I mean, I went straight into college about four or five months after getting out and back into Ohio. Um, but I, I mean, I was I was there for one purpose, you know, to get my education. I wasn't there to play around or uh, you know hang out at the bars or whatnot. So I I just kept my head down, stayed focused, and started learning. Um, I, my end goal was always to start a company 
while I was in college, you know, with, with my brother and, uh, you know, that's, that was always the focus and that's what happened. But I, I would say that I, I had a, a fairly smooth transition. Right. Well, that's always nice to hear. I mean, there are those of us, I, I'd say that I did too, and, and we're lucky, I think, because there are a lot of people who have yeah. a lot of struggles. Chet, what do you remember about the time when you left the Corps, when you went out into that, that uniform where uh, you, know, you don't have to wear the, uh, the camouflage every day? Uh, well, I, I remember being confused. Um, so, so I got out of the Marine Corps a, few, a couple of years before Dane did, um, and I kind of set up shop at Ohio State. So when he met me here, you know, we we all of a sudden, you know, we had each other. Uh, but there was that two-year grace period where, you know, I was kind of by myself. And I, and I realized really quickly that a lot of guys, a lot of people in college, you know, they, they gain a very solid friend base when they're freshman year living in the dorms. Um, you know, we, we didn't have that as veterans. You know, we, we come in and we're kind of on our own and, and all of your friends are scattered all over the whole, the whole country, all over the world for this matter. Uh, but I, I mean, I remember being extremely confused. I, I, I was very, uh, I wanted the campus map to have grid coordinates, <laughs> if that makes any sense to you, you know? <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it, it did help though, in both of our cases that we were studying engineering. Uh, so just having an extremely difficult course of study was, it, it was essential to keeping our, our minds focused and our, and and busy. We're speaking with Dana and Chet Peters. They are brothers, both uh, in the literal sense and in that metaphorical sense that the Marines have, both serving in the Marines as recon Marines, and now both running the Mill Spin Company. Now, as you mentioned, you both went to school for engineering, and was that with the plan of kind of where your business ended up, or how did you come to the idea for what Mill Spin has become? So, it, no, it definitely was not the plan of, of what it is today. Basically, what happened was a few years ago, Chet was studying mechanical engineering and I was studying civil engineering. So when Chet was, I think, in his second or third year, I think third year uh, in engineering school, he took an internship with a large organization here in town that built uh, specialty vehicles. And while he was there, you know, he realized that they were they were overpaying for a lot of the materials they were using. So we we met with them several times and tried to convince them, like, hey, you know, what if what if we were to find these parts for you, the exact same parts, or you know, similar parts for significantly cheaper? Would you entertain the idea of buying it through us? Um, and they were hesitant at first, but they gave us a chance about six months into it, and that kind of steamrolled. So, we, you know, they started off with one item and now I think we're supplying about 50 items, but we started manufacturing some of the parts and we bought CNC machines and in between jobs, those CNC machines weren't running. So we looked for ways to monetize them. Um, so the, the manufacturing part began, uh, I mean, I was in, I was in class learning how to use the machinery that we use right now. Um, and, you know, we had built up enough, credit through this company working with our large client that uh, we were able to, to actually buy a, a, a CNC mill and, and start manufacturing some of the products that we were supplying and that just that skyrocketed our, our profit margins uh, but it was kind of you, you know we, we saw the light when we realized how 
what what we could do when we had the ability to actually cut metal. And from there, it was, what else can we do with these machines? And and if you scroll through our website, that's the, that's the that's what came of it. Yeah, that's where we last year about early last year we transitioned to Millspin, and, and the other industrial supply company still exists and is fully functional. We just we started Millspin with a couple partners um, last year, and started actually the very first product was a fidget spinner, believe it or not, and we sold thousands of them. Um, and we would engrave the military insignia. People saw them as like a, a challenge coin, you know, a, right. a clever challenge coin that kind of told the whole story of your career. You could get six custom emblems, you know, on the one the one spinner. So it told a lot about what you did in, in the service. People still buy them today. Um, but we kind of transitioned to what else could we, you know, throw these engravings on. You know, so we have coasters, bar products, firearm accessories. Um, and we're, you know, we're, coming out with more products as we speak. Um, but a lot of what sets Millspin apart from other companies that do custom engravings is the engraving process. So most, pretty much everybody will use lasers and it just kind of burns the surface. We don't use any lasers ever. All we use is the CNC mills that we actually use to you know, create the product. We also use those to engrave the product. So it's a deep, you know, elegant engraving that you can feel and touch and they can never wear off, you know, the last a lifetime. Nobody does it that way. And, of course, that's where I first heard of Millspin, and we're speaking with Dana and Chet, two Marine Corps brothers and two brothers from Ohio who started this company that, as you said, you know, you started off uh, building machine parts and then thinking, well, while we're not doing that, what else could we be making? And the fidget spinners, I always thought, and I'm biased, of course, being an old sailor, but that the Navy versions where you would have uh, the rating badge, you would have your rank on there, maybe a surface warfare pin. Uh, those were a, a big deal during the height of the fidget spinner craze. Do you feel like you caught lightning in a bottle with that and that kind of helped you be able to move on to create all the other cool things that you have on there, like stainless steel coaster sets or hats with engraved metal patches on them and things like that? Absolutely. We generated a lot of revenue through the fidget spinner market and it it just absolutely exploded for us. Uh, I mean, we couldn't keep, we were working 20 hour days trying to, trying to keep up with the the demand, you know, And, and that was at a time when we weren't, 100% 100% uh, efficient with the machinery. You know, we're self-taught machinists. So, uh, I mean, it just, the demand just exploded in our faces. It was, it was glorious. <laughs> we, we, it was an excellent year for us. Going from fidget spinners to the variety of products that you have, I mean, you have Glock plates on there, which, uh, boy, those things are, uh, are pretty good looking. As I mentioned, the coaster sets for the different branches where you're able to put different things on these stainless steel coasters. How uh, wary were you of spreading out beyond? I mean, as you said, you caught lightning in a bottle with the fidget spinner. How worried were you that you might, you know, overstretch after having the success for that? Or was that not something that was ever a concern for you? Well, we knew that the, you know, the fidget market, fidget spinner market was primarily a fad. You know, we still sell a handful today, but last year, you know, we caught it right at the right time and we knew it was going eventually, you know, die off. So that's when we really started focusing on other products you know um and every one of our products sell great and and it was ended up being a you know a very vital move for us doing that otherwise we'd probably be in a bad spot right now um if we were still trying to rely only on fidget spinners 
Indeed, you've moved on to several other products. And when you look at where the business has gotten just in the last year, seeing that much change, do you feel that you're, uh, you know, especially being recon Marines, guys who are specifically trained to adapt and overcome when uh, obstacles come your way. Do you feel like having a market that's going to change when, you know, fidget spinners go out of style and so on and so forth? Do you feel that that sort of military background gave you uh, a little bit of a benefit over, let's say, someone who had never been in the military was uh, was running your company? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, our, our niche, for one, our niche is, you know, the veteran community. So having the knowledge of what all these different badges and ratings mean and and how to market those to the veteran community is, I mean, you couldn't do it without, a, you know, a significant military background. Um, but, but also just the, you know, we, both of us accomplished a lot as, as uh, enlisted Marines. Um, you know, our, our military careers were um, spectacular. And, and it wasn't because we just walked into the, the easy jobs in the, in the military, not that there are very many easy jobs, if any. Um, but you know, we, we made it a specific choice to challenge ourselves and do the most physically and mentally difficult things we could do in, in the military. Um, absolutely. That, that mentality has followed us and, and that's, that's how we operate every day. When it comes to uh, your operation, do you try to keep it, uh, you know, with a little bit of a military style to it? I mean, you're obviously both brothers, both served in the Marine Corps, seem to certainly have a similar mindset. Uh, what's your your business uh, idea of how things should be run, and how do you guys take care of that? Well, we we, we want to hire as many Marines as possible. Every time we bring a Marine on board, he, he's uh, it's it's a pleasure having him around. Not only do they work hard, but, but we have similar mentalities, similar sense of humor. Um, and yes, I think military organization is, is essential to scaling up. You know, we, we absolutely, uh, when we get to the point where we need to start organizing, uh, it's, it's very possible that we're going to start organizing in, in battalions and companies and platoons within, within our company. And that's certainly a way to go about it. And we're talking to Dana and Chet Peters, who have found success with their company, Millspin, which started off really breaking through with fidget spinners. You remember those? Well, they certainly do. It got them up and going with Millspin and kind of into the public consciousness. I remember hearing about them. I remember seeing a couple of my buddies who had bought some of them uh, with their military rank and everything engraved on it. And from then, they moved on from what they just told us they knew was pretty much a fad and expanded their product line into other things that, of course, course many in the veteran community are impressed with and looking for when you think about going into business for yourselves and the difficulties that you faced over the years uh, as as you've done that as you've started your companies what recommendations would you make to you know let's say a, a young marine who's about to get out maybe has a brother who's in the marine corps who's going to get out soon too they're thinking that they want to go into business for themselves what would you recommend people need to know and need to do before they take that first step of actually starting a business i mean I, i've always felt like one of the biggest issues with people not going into business is the fact that they just don't take that initial leap of faith. I mean, you know, it's a, a real cheesy, you know, quote, but they say you miss hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. I've always felt like that, you know, you have to give yourself the opportunity to succeed. So just, just do it. 
and, you know, do it in baby steps and grow along the way. But I mean, we started from absolutely nothing. We started with just a couple grand, um, you know, selling one product. And we knew like at no point did we ever consider taking a paycheck, you know, when we started a few years ago, it was just, let's just build this and build this and put everything back into it. You know, let's work other jobs, go to school, get the GI bill and, and see where this goes, but let's, let's start something moving in the right direction and just let it evolve, you know, take, take the path of least resistance and, and let it grow. So, I, I mean, really my, my advice is just start somewhere, just do something. Um, Be prepared to fail your way into success. You know, this isn't not, not our, our, our first venture and you'll, you know, that's a recurring theme. Anytime you watch any entrepreneur, any successful entrepreneur talking, it's, I mean, it, that's what they say, but, it's because it's true. I mean, the the way we learned how to set up an LLC and actually an actual business entity was through a failed app that we tried to launch. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I just a few months ago, I threw away my t-shirt maker from, you know, when we we're going to start a t-shirt company, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's in, and every failed venture came with a lesson. So save your money and be prepared to fail and, and learn from your failures. Well, you're having some success now with Millspin and these really great products that you have. So let me ask each of you, let's start with Dana. Dana, do you have a favorite product that you guys create now? Is it still the fidget spinner? Have you moved on to something else that you're really particularly proud of that you guys make? Uh, I, I really like our, I probably speak for Chet as well, but I really like our, our Glock plates. Uh, we, we put a lot of le effort into these things and, and, they're they're booming right now, um, but just the the intricacy of our engravings is really what I what I'm proud of is that I mean you can engrave something on a CNC mill at a large scale with you know not too much effort, but when you bring it down to a, like a micro scale, if you were to you know examine one of our Glock plates and see the the extreme amount of detail on such a small surface area that. It's pretty incredible the, the way that it's done, um, which is why I'm so proud of that particular product, and I think a lot of people appreciate that. And Chet, do you agree? Is that your favorite product that you guys are making now? He's he's right. You know, you, you put these engravings on anything, and all of a sudden it turns into gold. Um, you know, when you get them in your hands, it's uh, people are just not used to seeing things that aren't laser etched now. Mm. You know, it's all we sculpt these engravings, but but as far, if I had to name a product. Uh, and he'll probably kick me under the table because it's not the highest margin product we have, but <laughs> we, we sell these up armored, uh, bulletproof coasters. Um, and we, and we sell them with a, a guarantee that if you try and destroy it, we will send you a new one. If you post it to social media, <laughs> uh, with, which, you know, our customers do from time to time, but you know, they, they'll, they'll, they stopped at 308 at 250 yards and we sent out this email and not long after that, because, you know, we engrave people's military badges onto these coasters. We sent out an email with the challenge to our customers, and not 20 minutes later, we got an order for, like, $400 worth of coasters, and it was all EOD <laughs> insignia. And, uh, you know, for the non-veteran listening, that's an explosive ordnance disposal. So this guy, he was... It was requesting retired army and every EOD insignia that we offered. 
And so this guy was basically a bomb expert. Now, uh, we have not heard back from him yet, but I'm, I'm waiting on the phone call for, <laughs> I think those things are going to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's going to be able to figure out how to destroy him, I think that yeah. <laughs> may be the guy to do it. We're speaking with Dana and Chet Peters, founders of Millspin. Two brothers served in the Marine Corps, now serving alongside each other in the world of entrepreneurship. And, you know, how difficult is it when you talk about the high quality of the engraving that you're doing? How difficult is it to get people to understand the difference between that and like a laser etching engraving, which is, as you said, just part of the surface? I mean, to the layman, they can look somewhat similar. Is it really a matter of getting it in front of someone or how else do you think that you can make people understand the quality of the work that you're doing when they get it in their hands yeah it's it's a no-brainer they they get it but yeah there's we've definitely been tackling the uh, education process of how we set ourselves apart and why our, you know our products are a little more expensive than what else is on the market um more or less all of the you know the advertisements that we run we try to you know portray that that these are deep engraved they'll last forever you can't rub them off you know, and compare it to the laser etchings that you see. I mean, we, we get a lot of emails and reviews. If you read our reviews, people will say, you know, I've had similar products that are that are laser etched and the, the engravings rub off. You know, I'm really glad I found you guys doing it this way. Um, but uh, the word's getting out now. You know, we, we definitely see a return on our education process, you know, at, at this moment in time. So. We're, we're getting pretty good with photography. Dane's our resident photographer, and uh, and you know we have a designer now that that can help touch up our photographs to really bring out those engravings and and everything short of feeling it. Uh, you know, once when when a customer gets it, you know that's. I wish that we could just send out samples to everybody and and show them what they're dealing with. But when when they get them in their hands, it's. Um, we've had several social media posts of people just presenting as a gift our products and, and just seeing people's reactions alone are um, worth our while. You know, as a trained military photographer, I, I can tell you, if you're the ones taking the pictures of the stuff on the website, good job for people who don't have any uh, official photography training. That is, uh, you did, did do a pretty good job with the photos on the website. And I think you can tell if you look on the website that this is, you know, a little bit higher quality, again, than something that's laser engraved or something like that, that this is something that's uh, a little bit more than that. When you think about the future for Millspin, when you think, you know, a couple years from now or maybe even a couple months from now, what do you think is coming in the future for Millspin and what would you like to see in the future for your company? Oh, man. A lot of what I want to focus on in the meantime is custom logos. So we do a lot of custom work, but we don't, we don't, we don't have that process streamlined. So ideally what we'd like to be able to do is have and market our ability to turn any logo into an elegant engraving on any one of our products. You know, we already do a lot of business with, with local companies or, you know, other shooting ranges. We do their logos or, you know, Starbucks, we just did hundreds of hats with the, the Starbucks armed forces logo for Starbucks on them. We want to market that because there's, you know, there's a huge opportunity there for us that we're not taking all that much advantage of right now. I want more machines yeah. and I want more capabilities, you know, right now we're, we do, we, we run mills. I want to get lathes. Um, I, I want to start casting. Uh, I would love to 
you know, I, I just, I really, really take pride in the fact that we're, we're bringing manufacturing back to the United States. And I, I want to, I want to create more skilled jobs here. And I want to, I mean, I want a factory, just a massive factory full of machinery, just pumping out awesome products, you know? Well, that would be amazing. And and hopefully that does happen because if it does, these two brothers who both served in the United States Marine Corps, as they've already told us, they, they want to hire as many veterans as they can and keep pumping out products that veterans really like. And that's what they are doing over at Millspin. So Chet, Dana, if people are interested in finding out more about Millspin, about contacting you, about finding out about the products, what are the best ways for them to get that sort of information? On our website, there's a little contact us tab that'll give you our address our our email and our phone number um anybody's more than welcome to contact us in any one of those ways and we're pretty prompt about our responses and of course that website is millspin.com chet and dana thank you so much for joining us and uh, congratulations on the success you've had so far with millspin and best wishes on everything going forward it sounds like uh, you're you're the type of guys who aren't going to uh, be unprepared for what's coming down the road and you've already shown after uh, you know uh, adapting and overcoming when the uh, fidget spinner fad kind of died out millspin didn't die out and that certainly speaks to uh, the great work that you guys are doing there so thank you both of you for joining us on the program this morning we really appreciate your time thank you eric thanks eric and that concludes this wednesday edition of the morning briefing a big thanks to our guests today the american legion and of course the gents from millspin that we just spoke to we'll be back tomorrow 8 a.m with replays at 11 a.m and 4 p.m as we are every monday through friday right here on intercoms for jqs i'm eric dame see you tomorrow we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 